Now grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And good morning once again to you. Again, welcome to you who are visiting. I'm very happy that you're here. I hope you're comfortable here this morning. Um, our focus this morning comes from 2 Peter uh, 3.18 that you heard Ellen read, and then I yanked it out of her hand because there's a couple of things I want to make sure that I go back on. 2 Peter 3.18 says much of this, or part of this. Rather, it says, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's our thesis statement for this morning. That's where we're going. Now, I want to focus on that part about knowledge first because the human brain um, the human mind is capable of some amazing things. It's an amazing organ in our bodies. Here's a few fun facts about our brain that you might not know. I didn't know any of these. Number one, 60% of our brain is made up of fat. So when we start talking about brain food, hmm, right? I just, sorry, honey, I got to eat those donuts because I'm feeding the brain right here. Your brain weighs approximately three pounds. <clears throat> but I'm very quick to point out, size doesn't matter, right? Infra- that was supposed to be a lot funnier than that, but all right. Information in our brains, maybe it's just me, information in our brains travels at 268 miles an hour and it's going very small areas, so it's getting from one place to another very quickly. Here's one that I was shocked at. Our brains contain 100,000 miles of blood vessels. If you think about that, that's about four times around the equator that the blood vessels in your brain can make it around. Now, my daughter uh, majored in neurobiology, so she'd probably laugh at me for these, uh, these other ones, but the brain contains, I am told, 100 billion neurons. I don't know who sat down and counted those or how we did it, but um, by the size of your brain in that number, if you took a grain of sand, a piece of your brain the size of a grain of sand, it would have 100,000 neurons in it. So, I mean, it's just amazing what our brains can do. One last thing, um, you know, service uh, address announcement. Uh, Our brains are about 75% water, so stay hydrated. Okay, so now, like I said, our brains are amazing organs capable of some amazing things. Um, and there's humans that have done things that just absolutely blow my mind. And, and to that, that point, um, our first contestant on your favorite game show and mine is this. Who it is? Does anybody actually know? Raise your hand if you actually know this guy. Josh has got it close. Yes, Magnus Carlsen. Magnus Carlsen is a world chess champion. He's a grandmaster, uh, but that's kind of an understatement. He has been the, the world chess champion uh, five times in a row, five, five times straight. That means we only do that every other year, so he's been the champion since 2011. Um, only Karpov has hold, held that um, uh, position longer than that. Okay, so um, suffice it to say he's very good at what he does, right? But just how good is this guy? This guy is mind-blowing. Um, now, maybe you've seen some chess players um, on movies or TV shows where they're playing several games of chess at one time. Well, Magnus did that. He played 10 guys from... Harvard, from the Harvard Chess Club, the elite Harvard Chess Club, except Magnus put a bit of a twist on it. Look at this picture. This is what he did. They blindfolded him. He sat with his back to these chess boards and played 10 games of chess at one time, blindfolded, not looking at the boards. Here's another picture of how the games were going. Look at these guys pouring over the board, and there sits Magnus like that. I know, mind-boggling. Can you imagine trying to make five moves on a chessboard without, without looking at it to see what your opponent is doing? So suffice it to say, this guy won all ten games. Now, as mind-blowing as that is, I think this last part is the part that really blew my mind. I saw a documentary on this. So he played ten games at once. And then they had this little uh, social event afterwards, and one of the guys that was playing against him um, came up and asked him for his autograph. 
And Magnus said, yeah, absolutely, I'll give you my autograph. And then he said, the guy asked, or he asked Magnus, Magnus, I'm sorry, asked the guy what board he was playing on. I should set this up a little bit. There's this thing called chess notation. So every move you make on the board is notated, and then we can, you know, put those games into history. You can go back and study them later. So that's chess notation, right? Okay, so now just remember, Magnus is sitting here with his back to the board all blindfolded. The guy said he was on the sixth board in this tournament. And so Magnus sits and he dictates, notates the entire game that was played on one of the boards of ten. I mean, how can a human mind work like that? But so, you know, to say that he's world chess champion shouldn't be too surprising when somebody can pull off a feat like that. So some other amazing minds in the history of mankind. Uh, this one's maybe a little bit easier on the who dis. Who, who, who dis? All right, so you, it's your gift this morning, right? So I was all right, that, good. Uh, perhaps the most brilliant mind that science has ever seen or will ever see. Um, now, Einstein has some several quotes about God. I don't know if you've read any of what he's talked about God, but um, believers like to quote Einstein, and atheists like to quote Einstein, because Einstein kind of just said whatever was on his mind, literally, pun intended, and sometimes it came out uh, in different ways. One particular quote says this. I don't have a slide for it. You just have to listen to this one. Anyone, Einstein said this, anyone who doesn't believe in a cosmic force is a fool. And later on, he goes on to name God as that cosmic force. Well, I give credit to Einstein. All he's really doing is quoting Psalm 14, verse 1, that says, the fool in his heart says, there is no God. Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool in his heart says, um, there is no God. But then Einstein went off the deep end. He went off the other side, and he said this. He said, let me read the whole quote. Anyone who doesn't believe in a cosmic force is a fool, but we can never know him, is what Einstein said. Now, i got to just throw up the flag against that because there are no verses to support that. Einstein says we can't know God. There are many verses that say we can, not only can we know God, but we need to know God. In fact, there's a slew of verses. Yes, I get a slew of verses <laughs> that say that, that we can know God. But more importantly, we can know the will of God, God's intent for us. So um, we look at the Bible, and we can look at just a couple of these this morning, and then we're going to break them down. We're going to talk about what it is to know God, what, that, what those words actually mean. Because we read here a, a, moment, a moment ago in 2 Peter 3.18, uh, it, it says, Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, so... That must grow right there, um, that's a verb that's what we call the imperative. It's in Greek, Hebrew, and also in English. It means it's a command. It's a command for us to do. That's, that the God commands us that we must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to go on to Hosea 6.3. It says this, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Um, that press on um, is in the infinitive. So that means that it's, uh, it's a continuing action. To know God isn't just a one-and-done deal. It's a continuing thing. that we, it's, it's literally past, present, and future, something that needs to be happening all the time. Literally, keep pressing on to know the Lord. You have been pressing on. Keep pressing on in the con in, in continue to press on in the future. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. So again, that's a command for us to do. Psalm 46.10 says this. These are God's words. He says, be still and know that I am God. And again, that word know means it's, it's a command. It's something that we need to do, something that we're ordered to do by God. Now, okay, so I touched on this point a couple of weeks back, and then I, I promised to circle back around and assured you that we'd spend some more time on this point. So here we go. 
So if we break it down a little bit more um, than that, um, so Psalm, put, would you put 46 back up, Jared? Um, the word no, like I said, is, is a command, right? It's in the imperative tense. And it's one of the Hebrew words that you might be familiar with. You might not realize that it's a Hebrew word, but it's something that you've heard of before. Anybody know the Hebrew word for no? It's, oh, that's Greek, but yeah. Um, but um, Hebrew is, is yada. So you've heard the word yada, right? And it's actually yada, right? So, um, so we say yada, yada, yada. It means I know, I know, I know, right? Okay, okay so that, so, but what is that word in the Hebrew language? What, is that, what does it mean? Because I've told you this many times that the Hebrew language has fewer words than the English language has. And so they all have a, a, a more of a depth of meaning. Um, so I want to relate that to how that pertains to uh, what we're talking about, how we must grow in the knowledge of the Lord. How does that word yada re, uh, pertain to that? How does knowing the definition of this word um, help us out and, you know, pops up where we're going? So, yeah, again, that's our thesis statement, growing the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we think of knowing, uh, when, you know, this collective room, if I talk to you about knowing something, you've, you know, we live in an age where we can know just about everything on our phone. We can look it up right now and, or we can click on it on our computer. By the way, um, that dot com doesn't mean that everything's true that you're reading, by the way. So anyway... So we can know just about anything with a click, right? But the Hebrew word yada means more than just head knowledge. It means more than just awareness. Um, yada has connotations like this. Uh, by the way, on the back of your bulletin, there's some places to take notes. You might want to take a couple notes this morning and bring some of this out the door with you because this is some pretty important stuff that we're going to be talking about here this morning. I save stuff like this for moments like this when we get together um, in larger groups. The word yada has connotations that mean this relationship, experience, to experience something, not just know something, to experience something, and then have a commitment to that thing, to have loyalty to it, to be able to trust it, right? We're going to talk about all those things. So we might talk about knowing someone but do we really know that person, right? In Hebrew, we would use a different word for that, for something that we're just associated with, not something we actually know, not something we actually have a relationship with, not something we actually experience, not have a commitment to, loyalty and trust. So the Bible talks far more than just familiarity with a person or, or with a thing. It talks about being, having concern for that thing, right? Or that means to be action, means to be, we, since we know something, we act on that concern or that thing. For example... Um, the word yada shows up in the Hebrew, in the Bible, in different places, in the Hebrew language in different places. It doesn't show up. It's not always translated as just knowing or to know or something like that. Um, for example, it, like I said, the, the word has action um, kind of involved with it almost um, parenthetically. So Proverbs 12.10, look at this. It says, the godly care for their animals. That word care is the Hebrew word yada. So not the, it says the godly not only know the needs of their animals, but they care enough to provide what those animals need. The godly care, the godly yada for their animals. And God treats us in the same way. God says the same thing about yada for us. Look at Psalm 1 verse 6. It says, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. Watches over is the Hebrew word yada. So God not only knows our path, but he watches over it. It's like I like to teach our youth group, you know, on a regular basis. Um, there are people in the world that are trying to look for, for a reason to reject God. 
That might sound surprising. No, it doesn't sound surprising at all. There are people in the world that are looking for a reason to reject God. And one of the main things that they'll say is, yeah, that book is full of a bunch of rules and a bunch of commandments and a bunch of this and that, right? Which is partially true. But in, in reality, uh, if we can just get people to, to listen for a second, not try to shout down the truth. Um, it's like people, like Second Peter says, not to be not to be carried away by people who are trying to distort the truth. That's the one that just jumped out at me this morning. That's why we put it in there. Trying to distort the truth um, to advance and, and promote their own narratives. Uh, and like Peter says, if we listen to that, we're going to lose our own footing. We're going to lose our way. But when we obey uh, God's commands, right? When we pray, when we obey God's command to grow in his knowledge, right? It's beneficial to us. So I'm going to say this again later, but behind every one of God's commands is a promise. Behind every one of God's commands is a promise. God commands us. He says, press on to know the Lord. He says things like, be still and know. Those are commands. Be still and know that I'm God. Know that I have it under control. Then when we do that, we're on solid ground. We have solid footing. And we can do the things that Second Peter says. Like he says, be on your guard. Because these things are happening and these things are going to be coming at you. That distortion, that distortion of God's word that we read in, back in Jeremiah, the, the distortion of God's word, it's going to come along when you least expect it. So then when we obey the commands, God's commands, it allows God to, to be actively involved. Right? When we obey God's commands, and it's not a bunch of thou's and this and that. No, it's like, get to know me. Understand who I am. Get more of me in your life. When we, when we obey those commands, it allows God to be actively involved in our lives. To guide us. To protect us. Because like I said, behind every one of God's commands is a promise. Take nothing else out this morning. Please take that out the door with you. Behind every one of God's commands is a promise. For example, Psalm 91, verse 14. The Lord says... I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. Can you guess? Hold on a second, Jared. Can you guess where the word yada is in this sentence? God says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. The word yada is trust. It's a command. Trust in my name, he says. I will rescue. I will protect. I will bring you home. Behind every one of God's commands is a promise for you. A few English versions will say, I will protect those who know my name. But again, it goes way beyond knowing God's name. We have to understand. We have to understand who God is. We have to understand what God does. We have to understand what God promises. So that we can be fulfilling scripture that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. By the way, that's yada, and that's a command. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And again, these verses, this message that's coming at you this morning, straight from God's words. Nothing cryptic, nothing hidden, no mystery involved. 
I'll say it again. You know, when God wants us to know something, he presents it with clarity. He presents it with precision. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't veil it. There's nothing cryptic to figure out. God says, trust me, I will rescue and I will protect. He's very clear with how these things work. And when we make every effort, like Peter says, we make every effort to grow in the knowledge in the, in, in, of God and in his character, grow in the knowledge of God and in his character and in his promises for us, things start to change. Just for a moment, I want to dabble on the other side here. Just so we're on the page, uh, same page, to Yada, um, To Yada, God isn't just knowing about God. Isn't just knowing the crucifixion story. It's, it's applying it to our lives. Yada has is an action verb. It's something that we do. Right? Not just know something, not just passively. No, it's something that we actively do. I pointed out a few weeks ago that even the demons know who God is, but it doesn't have any effect in their existence. Yada is about trusting. It's about commitment. It's about loyalty. It's about relationships. And we've seen several examples of, uh, several examples of God's response to us when we do that, right? When we actually trust in the Lord with all our heart, right? We actually commit ourselves to him. When we actually look to have a relationship with him, God acts. God commands us to do that, and then his promises come into line. So real quick, what does the opposite look like? Because it's not just for the demons. I alluded to this about a month ago. Look at 1 Samuel 2.12. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. They had no yada regard for the Lord. Did Eli, Eli was, the, was the priest? Their sons were priests? Did they know who God was? Absolutely. Did they have trust, commitment, loyalty, relationship? No, they didn't. They tried to use their position of power uh, to advance themselves, to um, you know, try to make money on the deal and try to advance their own interests and things. But what does God say when we do yada him? Not just head knowledge. We saw earlier that God said, if you want to boast in something, boast that you understand who I am. Boast that you know God. Boast that you yada him. Trust, commitment, loyalty, relationship. Trust that you boast that you yada in him. So we start to land this plane. My question for you this morning is this. What's holding you back from that yada with the Lord? What's keeping you from having, experiencing yada with God? Because it's one side or the other. Are we sons and daughters of Eli who have no regard for the Lord? Or are we sons and daughters of Christ who yada, trust, commitment, loyalty, relationship with God? Because when it comes right down to it, you know, you saw some of that on these cups that were up here. That just about, you know, brought me to tears. But you saw, because there's only one way to eternal life. One of them had a cross in his cup. He said, this is the way to eternal life. Having that relationship with God. I'm going to leave you with two last verses here. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation, right? Active verbs here in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And just so there's no confusion, again, I just want to lay this out. God, when he wants us to know something, he lays it out with clarity, with certainty, no hidden nothing, no cryptic messages here. John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life. What a great opening statement, right? How I talk about an attention getter. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, to die you. The only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Amen? Let's stand, please.